Thank you so much, Kyle. Thank you for everybody that's joined with us in person or for those online. We just want to say welcome. And if we have not met, my name is Pastor Dave. I am the pastor here, and uh, we've just had numbers of guests over the past few weeks that have joined us online or in person. And I wish that things were just a little different so we could meet a little bit more face-to-face and in person. And unfortunately, it's not, but we will get to know each other soon enough, hopefully. Um, If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew 1 is where we're going to go. As we start a new series called Blizzard, um, uh, over the past uh, few months, we've just been digesting just vision and direction and looking through um, the sermon series because I planned a pretty far ahead. And uh, the Lord began to change the direction for December. And uh, the whole focus of December and the word storm just kind of kept coming up over and over in my, just in my own spirit, in my own prayer time. And the, the storms is something that comes up quite often in scripture to those that are in the narrative of scripture. Uh, storms are tremendous metaphors for challenges that we go through in life. And when I thought about the word storm, I thought here in Michigan, we really don't talk about storms a whole lot except for in the winter. That's when I'm like when I moved on this side of the state, I learned about something called lake effect snow. Something I had never experienced before because I'm from I'm an east sider, then I lived in mid-Michigan, and we didn't know about lake effect. And the the snow on this side of the state has a mind of its own. And I thought, okay, if we're gonna instead of calling a series storm, let's just call it for what we know it as in Michigan. We're gonna call it blizzard. And specifically, we're gonna talk about that this season can feel a bit like a blizzard. There is a flurry of activity, a flurry of uh, things to do. The to-do list gets longer and longer. You're buying gifts, you're, you're planning for get-togethers, or this year you may discover there are less get-togethers. There, you might be seeing people less uh, than what you planned on. Maybe, uh, maybe you are seeing people and you're like, those people I see once a year every Christmas, I have to see them again. And maybe you're just in a blizzard of emotions having to see them or vice versa, you're maybe your heart is aching because you're not gonna be able to connect like you used to. But let's all be honest, 2020 has felt a little like a blizzard, a bit like a storm. And every one of us, if we're not careful, we can all get lost in that storm. And so we're gonna go through three weeks of, I hope will be encouragement for you and hopefully some practical steps that you and I can take navigating just the blizzard that life can tend to hand us. Matthew chapter one, I thought let's just start with the Christmas story and dive into the Christmas story. Matthew chapter one, it's the first book of the New Testament. If you're unfamiliar with scripture, uh, the Bible is kind of split into two major sections, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and this is the first book, the first chapter of the New Testament. And it says in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quickly. (laughs) What a great way to start off a Christmas story. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear, take Mary as your wife, For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This morning, I'm just going to pray that the Spirit of Jesus would invade the storms, the blizzards that maybe our nation is facing, our world is facing, or maybe right now personally in your life, your marriage, 
relationally, schools, whatever situation or context you find yourselves in, my prayer is this, is that in your place of struggle, that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus will meet you right there. Let's pray. Lord, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the scripture says the name of the Lord is to be praised. And I pray that today that you would ignite our hearts, you would ignite our lives with your presence. I pray that you would meet us in this time, this moment, in this place. And Lord, for every person that may be in person or watching online, if they are, I pray for every discouraged heart that they would find encouragement. For every frustrated heart, they would find a calm. Lord, for every hurting heart that they would find healing. Your presence is here with us. Your God with us. So anoint our minds and our hearts. Help us to leave here differently than the way that we walked in. And Lord, somehow, some way, just bring us a miracle this afternoon with my Detroit Lions and your Detroit Lions. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless him. There is an ongoing sports argument that is, has lasted for decades. And in fact, uh, it's been really pretty heavily argued over the past handful of years. And the argument is this, who is the greatest basketball player of all time? Whoa, I didn't even ask you. I got, I got my brother from Chicago right here. To, he, he named he who should not be named, which is Michael Jordan. I'm from Detroit. We don't like to recognize that name, but for the sake of the illustration, I'm just gonna go with it here. But there are three names that come up in the argument, three names for the who is the greatest player ever. People will say, I'll say his name, Michael Jordan. People will say LeBron James. And people will say Dave Berenger. <laughs> Don't laugh. I was the captain of my college basketball team. All right. All right. College intramural basketball team. That's beside the point. So, of those names, I mean, there's the argument goes back and forth. I've heard sports radio, I've heard all sorts of arguments. I mean, you see it on ESPN, Fox, all of that. People argue back and forth, who's the best, who's the best, why are they better? But there is a name that comes up, that I should say, that does not come up whenever the argument is made. And the reason why the name is so important, because when you look at LeBron or you look at Jordan, you realize that on the greatest scores list that they are not the top scorer in the history of the NBA. Do you know who the top scorer is? Give that man a Pop-Tart. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is number one, and yet he is not even mentioned as the top player of all time. Now, I know the arguments around there. I would consider that him, he might possibly be the greatest center of all time, but Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the number one scorer of all time, and yet he is not brought up in the greatest of all time. Now, when he was born, he's born with the name Lou Alcender, and he grew up, I believe, was in New York. And as he progressed in his game, he got invited to play for the dynasty of basketball teams, UCLA. And he played for the UCLA, Bru UCLA, Bruin UCLA Bruins, they'll say it right, for which that team won 11 national championships in 10 years. That's pretty amazing. And so in the midst of all of that, I mean, Lou Alcindor, now Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he is seven foot two, and what just dominated the nation. You just throw him the ball, he is heads and tails above almost everybody on the court by nature of his height, but by nature of his talent, nobody could match up with him. 
and he was just dominating the game. And in the 1967, a rule was put in place that was an abnormal rule. It just didn't exist before, and it absolutely hurt Lou. The rule was this, slam dunking is now illegal. Now, if you're seven foot two and you've got talent escalating far above seven foot two, and all you gotta do is throw it, to, throw it to Lou in the middle, he just dunks over everybody, he posterizes the people around him, and then he runs back down the court. All they do is keep feeding him, he'd dunk it, feed it, he'd dunk it, and all of a sudden his major go-to, his way of scoring was absolutely made illegal. I don't know about you, but that, that would demolish my game. If I couldn't dunk, that would absolutely destroy my basketball game. Thank you for not laughing too much. That's wonderful. But with him, he was so hurt. In fact, if you study it and read the articles, he, number one, thought that this was primarily directed toward him. He took it as a personal attack. And not only that, this was during the civil rights movement of the 60s. It was seen as actually a racist move against black players in the NCAA. And so there was all sorts of anger, all sorts of frustration. And perhaps the greatest player in the country at that moment, he looked at his coach and he said, I am thinking about quitting basketball forever. I don't ever want to play basketball again. Right there in the middle of this personal turmoil, it was really going to transform the game of basketball, getting rid of dunking, getting rid of that which, especially the taller players, it really changed their game. What type of game would they have if they can't dunk any longer? And Coach Wooden, which was his coach, a great Christian man, highly respected, wrote an amazing book on leadership. I encourage anybody to read John Wooden's book on leadership. John Wooden pulled Lou aside and said this, something was taken from you. And Lou, this will make you a better player. But what you're gonna have to do is work harder to develop a shot that goes beyond what anybody knows about you. So he put Lou to work. And Lou went to work and he had to learn to play basketball without, without doing a dunk. And I've already seen somebody up in the balcony doing, doing exactly what I'm leading toward. He went from dunking the basketball to doing what we now call the sky hook. What's a sky hook? There's the basketball rim, here's his body. He sticks his seven foot two height here, his arm up in the air, and he simply sky hooked it above everybody else. Sports commentators and historians will say it is the undefensible shot in all of basketball. How do you block a seven foot two guy with his arm way up at about nine foot, 10 foot tall, leaping and throwing above everybody else? Nobody could stop it. He led his team to another national championship. He took his skills then to the NBA and he won multiple championships in the NBA. He is now the top scorer in all of basketball as of right now. I mean, think about that. In a turbulent moment where something normal was taken away from him, he could either sit in the, in the misery of what was removed from him or he could bear down and begin to realize that even though the turbulent moment happened, it didn't have to stop who he was. That from that moment, the sky hook was basically coined. The sky hook transformed his game. It transformed the game all around him and it put him in a place that he maybe never would have been had it not been for one rule, one change, one simple little blizzard hitting his sports life. Now that may seem simple and it may be maybe 
seem a little bit cheesy to you, but I'm wondering if there's numbers of us today that are in a mode in this year, maybe this month, but we're just in the storm of what life has handed to us. And so many of us can get so caught up with what we lost, but I believe that we are in a new season right now that we can either grumble over what we have lost or we can look through the eyes of the Lord and realize that this is the church's skyhook moment. This is our moment that says if we can bear down, we have to realize we have God with us. And this is the church's skyhook moment. This is the moment where we can look and begin to bear down and we can begin to see within ourselves that we've got the spirit of God. And perhaps, perhaps we may not go back to a normal moment. Yes, they, they reinstalled the dunking. That was, it's all back. But I'm here to say that we may never get a normal back. But what we do have is the same God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he has led us safe thus far and he will continue to lead us safely forward. It's our skyhook moment. I should have titled this the skyhook moment. That would have been genius. This is our moment here. And this is really the story of Joseph in the Christmas story. Everything seemed normal to him. Everything about the story was normal. Just a man meeting a girl Parents get together, arrangements are made, engagement is made, they, they post it on Facebook, and everyone starts liking it on Facebook, people are sharing it, and you know, Mary's doing the hand thing where she see, you see the, I'm sorry, the ring finger, and you're, it's going through all of that, and all of a sudden, in the midst of all of that, people find out Mary's pregnant. And all of a sudden, people, unlike it on Facebook, are like, I knew they were getting engaged way too fast, I knew something was taking place, knew something fishy was going on, and, and this, has turned into what was a beautiful, engaging moment was an absolute disaster for Joseph. I mean, if you study scriptural marriage in terms of the Jewish marriage, it consisted of two simple stages. The first stage was engagement for which the couple would come together, take vows with one another, and they were seen as a betrothed couple, or more accurately, they were really seen as a marriage couple, but they were, be, they were married without benefits. And I will let your imaginations go with that. So they're verbally married, and they were in that stage, and then you get to the next stage, and the next, it's more than just the preparation stage, it's the, it's the consummation stage. It's the stage where they have the banquet, they have the, the, this big ceremony, and they have the wedding night, they have the honeymoon, they have the rest of the life, where they go from making the vows between each other, now they make the vow before the Lord. And what has happened in between those two stages is we have them in a place where they are kind of stuck. It says right there in verse number 19, it says, excuse me, verse 18, they had been betrothed to Joseph. And they're right there, before they came together, you need to underline those words, before they came together, yes, centrally, before they came together, before they had intimacy. In other words, there was no intimacy between him. It was found that she was with child, and the scripture will tell us she was found with child by conception of the Holy Spirit. Still a virgin, but very pregnant. And we're in this place where they're stuck between two stages. Joseph had a good plan. He had a great plan. Gonna get engaged, gonna get married, gonna have a good life, continue to be a carpenter, carry on the family business, do our thing. And now he's had to change his plans. And so he forms another good plan. What's the good plan? Verse number 19, her husband Joseph, 
being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, this is a good dude, resolved to divorce her quietly. In other words, he had all of these rights according to the Levitical law that he can actually make a spectacle of her based upon her pregnancy, point the finger, accuse her, um, shame her, and by all Levitical rights have her placed outside the city and stoned to death. But we see the nature of who Joseph is. And in the midst of this blizzard of life, Joseph decides, listen, I'm just going to separate myself quietly and that way, no harm, no foul, we'll just go about our, li our, our life. But that's really what most of our lives are like, is something bad happens, and immediately because something bad happens, we wanna separate ourselves. Something happens with our spouse, we want separation. Something happens with our kids, we wanna separate ourselves. Something happens with our job, we wanna just find another new job. Something happens in our church, let's find another church. We look and we see something that happens in the midst of the storm of life, and our go-to is just to simply separate ourselves rather than work through something. And verse 20 through 21, we get this amazing interaction. As, as he considered these things, it says that an angel of the Lord appeared saying, Joseph, son of David, don't fear. Take Mary as your wife for what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and will call his name Jesus for he will save yours, his people from their sins. And immediately right there, Joseph, again, showing you the character of Joseph, he not only was trying to protect Mary, but he sets aside his plans to embrace the purposes of God. The question that I'm gonna ask you now and at the end of this message is simply this, is are you choosing your plans or are you embracing God's purposes? So often we can choose our plans and try to make our plans work, but sometimes our plans are not just going to, they're just not gonna work or our plans are gonna fall through. There are times that blizzards that come by and they can, they can wanna devastate us and they can mess up our plans, but I want you to understand something, that plans will come and plans will go, but the purposes of God will always remain forever. And so today I just wanna give you a few quick observations on how we can be a people that can move from plans to purposes. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, number one. Sometimes God uses an interruption to your plan as an invitation into his plan. Sometimes God uses an interruption to your plan to be an invitation into his plan. Joseph, I mean, read about it. He's making good plans and he had all the good plans. He had the good plans for the future of the marriage and future of the family. And in the midst of all of that, we get an absolute interruption into his plans. And then, so after that interruption, he makes another plan and that plan gets interrupted by an angel. How, how would you like that? That every time you try to make a plan that God intervened with an angel in front of you. Some of you are like, I would welcome that. I don't know if I would welcome that. I would actually think that something was always wrong with me making bad plans. But Joseph, he's making them plans and he keeps getting them interrupted over and over and over again. Does this not feel like 2020? Keep making a plan, there keeps being some sort of interruption. And hearing the news of Mary being pregnant had to be honestly absolutely devastating with what he was thinking. Had to be saddening. But understand this, there are times that, we, that God invites an interruption into our lives because there is an intervention that he's actually wanting to do. That God's, that the, inv the, the interruptions that we get become the invitations for us to step into the purposes of God. 
Because there are times in life, life does not flow the way that we want it. And we, sometimes, and we can get so caught up wondering and griping and complaining. And I say that because I'm the best griper and complainer. When, things, when my plans get interrupted, I just get angry. And God wants us to kind of halt ourselves. And instead of getting so wrapped up in our plans, I wonder if we can start getting wrapped up in the purposes of God. Saying, God, I don't understand why this happened or I don't understand where this is going. But today, Lord, I do fix my eyes upon you because I believe you can work through this. Because some of us, your plans have been interrupted and you've been trying to escape the chaos of that interrupted moment. But I'm wondering if the thing that we're trying to escape is actually the thing that God wants to give you breakthrough in. He wants to give us breakthrough. Well, pastor, I don't always understand the, 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 the plans of God. Let me tell you this. I don't always understand the plans of God and I don't always understand the purpose of God. But this is one thing that I do know is God is good and he is good all the time. And I can keep trusting in him, knowing that as I place my faith into his hands, as I place my life into his hands, that his direction will always be good. In fact, I wrote this down yesterday. You don't have to understand the plan to trust that God has a purpose for you. You don't have to have a, a full understanding to know that God has purpose for you. I don't always get God's plans, but I do always know that his purposes will always work together for the good of those that love the Lord. So therefore I can trust the hand of God. I can trust the face of God. I know that he is good and he will lead me into goodness, which leads me to number two, my second observation from the story. Number two, stop complaining, start declaring. Stop complaining about what's happened and start declaring who God is. This is a word for Dave Berenger. This is a prophetic word over my life right now. My, my, it seems like lately over the past, especially past few months, my like, default is just frustration. I just get frustrated. And I've had to learn that I need to stop complaining and start declaring. Verse uh, 22 through 25, it says this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. I love this. Is Joseph is literally given the angel a name and he delivers another name, which both names coincide with one another. I love it. Those names are so important. In fact, every name in scripture is important. And why is it important? Because it's a declaration. He named his, this adopted son a name that was a complete declaration over who that child was and who that child was going to be. You see, in that culture, if a child was brought in that was not blood, and the second the father named the child, it was the intention of the father that says, I am choosing to adopt this child as my own. And he was making a faith declaration that says, listen, I am adopting this child as it were my own blood child, and I'm gonna give him the name Jesus. What is the name Jesus means? It means God saves. God delivers. And he was speaking something. He was declaring something over this child, over his own life, over his family, over the nation of Israel, over the world that God will save. And I am challenging us in this day, in this time, in this blizzard of a year that we've experienced, that we can complain about what has happened, or we can be a people to declare who God is over everything that has happened. 
We gotta be people that rise up in the power of God and in the joy of the Lord. And listen, joy is not an emotion. Happiness is an emotion. Joy is a state of our soul. And when we walk with a state of joy in our spirits, we've got to be a people who declare the goodness of God. I wrote this down. Faith, a faith declaration doesn't necessarily change our circumstance. It changes us. Just because you declare something doesn't necessarily change the circumstance. It's like that great Christian TV show, The Office, when Michael Scott gets up and he declares bankruptcy in his office and they're like, "Uh, just because you say it out loud doesn't take care of your debt. Just because we say something out loud doesn't necessarily change our circumstances, but I've learned this, is that when I begin to declare things in the name of Jesus, when I declare things over my day or over my wife, over my kids, over the church that I serve, I'm doing it because I want it to change me and I want it to change the trajectory that I go into. In fact, I'm gonna challenge you to write down declarations over your day. I challenge you every single morning this week, would you this morning write down one declaration over your day? Maybe write down another declaration over your family or over your workplace. Maybe the people you've been complaining about lately, why don't you declare something over them? In fact, let me give you some things. How about this? Jesus is first in my life and I exist to serve and to glorify him. Make a declaration. Maybe your declaration is this. Today I will love people and believe the best about others. Or, I am disciplined. Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires within me. Or how about this declaration? I believe God can. I believe God will. And even if he doesn't, I still will believe in him. How about this one? This one might be a little touchy. Today, I will do something that requires faith. Some of us depend upon things that require little faith. How about this? My confidence is in Christ and Christ alone. Here's one for someone this morning. I am not my diagnosis. I am am who God says I am. I am healed, whole, loved, and created on purpose for a purpose. Maybe your, your declaration tomorrow morning needs to be, I will wake up with purpose, direction, and meaning every single day of my life. We need to, be, we need to stop getting ourselves focused on the failures and mistakes of this nation or of this world or of what's going on around us. And we need to be people declaring the purposes of God. Joseph named his son as a declaration, God will save And I wonder if that's how we need to be waking up and focusing on our days. Some of y'all need to get a journal and start writing on declarations, declarations. Every time you want to complain about something, write a declaration. Every time you want to post passive aggressively about somebody on social media, instead of that, why don't you write a declaration of blessing over their life? Why don't you write a declaration of blessing over the world? Write a declaration of blessing over the politicians you disagree with. Write a declaration of blessing over the pastors you get frustrated with. Write declarations and get us in a place where we no longer have the first language of complaining, but our first language as the people of God is to declare the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ. I love what Romans chapter 4, four verse 17 says this. 4 verse 17 says, and it's written, I've made you the father of many nations. He's speaking about Abraham. In the presence of God, whom he believed, who gave life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Somebody, listen, church, we need to be a people that where people can see the blizzard. We need people that can see beyond the wind and the waves and the ice and the snow. And we can begin to call into existence the things that don't exist. We've got calamity, but our God is able. I see sickness, but God can heal. I see chaos. God can breathe, God can breathe peace. Man, 
man, I see so much hate, but God is love and we are to be a people of love. We need to be a people that even though we may not see it, we have to call it into existence because that does not change necessarily what happens out here, but it does change the atmosphere of what happens in here. Number three, God promises presence, not separation. God promises presence, not separation. If there's anything that I've learned from the story of Joseph, is that God's promise to Joseph was simple presence of what his spirit was going to be. Joseph's inclination was to cancel the problem. All right, the marriage isn't even that old. I'm gonna cancel it, I'm gonna delete it, I'm done with it. Because the word divorce by nature is the word separation. It means to separate yourself from the situation or the problem thereof. And we often pray the simple prayer that says, God, separate me from this thing. God, deliver me from this thing. Get me out of this thing. But often God doesn't deliver us from the chaos. Many times God comes into the chaos to deliver us through it. Often we want God to come and just take us out of the chaos, but instead his presence delivers us through the chaos. How does his presence deliver us through, through the chaos? He doesn't sit on the other side and say, come on, you can do it, you can do it. His presence comes into our mess and delivers us through the chaos. I came across this article and it's about a tribe in South America. And I would give you the name of the tribe, but I can't pronounce the name. So I didn't want to butcher it. But there's this tribe in South America that does this initiation for boys in their tribe that were turning 13 years old. So I'm gonna give some, some dads some ideas if you had a 12 year old in your, in your house here. And what they would do is they would take this 13 year old and the dad would walk the 13 year old out into the middle of the jungle and then make him stay there by himself the entire night. It's this right to manhood, this initiation. You're like, well, what did they leave him with? Nothing, no weapons, no props. All he had to do was to endure the night all by himself. So I'm reading this article and I'm immediately, I'm like, man, 18, Ethan's 18. How do I do this in retrospect here? At the same time, I mean, I don't know about you. I, I can't imagine putting my child in that much danger on purpose. And as I'm reading this article, they're telling the story of this boy that was led out by his father. They made the father lead his son out, his own son out and dropped him off in this spot and said, you're gonna wait here and I'll be back at the break of dawn to come get you. And the article says that that boy sat all night long, listening to the sounds of the jungle, listening to the beasts around him, wondering is anything gonna come for him? Is anything, anything gonna come claim him? Is something hunting him? And so he sat there almost sleepless all night long wondering, am I even gonna make it? And when the daylight hit, the sun stood up and he turned around and he looked and there was his father who had been sitting 
just a few feet from him the entire evening. And this is what the article said. The son said, have you been there? And the father says, I was there all night. Do you think that I would ever leave you alone? Do you think you have ever been alone? To every single person that has ever felt alone. Let me speak to, to the people that are watching on live stream that you feel alone in your apartment. You feel alone in your home. You feel alone because of human contact. You feel alone because you just feel like nobody cares about you any longer. I'm here to tell you that you may feel the, the weight of the jungle around you. You may hear the sounds of things that want to claim your life and your spirit. But I'm here to tell you that just a few feet away, there is the Father there with you. The name that Jesus is given in the book of Isaiah is Emmanuel. It means what? God, say it with me, God with us. Think about those two names, Jesus, Savior of all. He, the Lord will save us. God with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. I don't know your plans for this year didn't go the way that they should, but I want you to know that there's one who is with you that has greater purposes for your life. He is God with you. In fact, one of the greatest promises that you read throughout scripture, you've heard it from me a million times in the past 11 and a half years, is the scripture that says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse four, we get that repeated. I will never leave you or forsake you. And the reason why I bring up this word in Hebrews, because in the Greek language, there's all sorts of grammar issues. Now I'll tell you this, I have a lot of grammar issues just with my own English, but in Greek and scripture, there's actually some very terrible grammar here because the word never is actually used five times. And in fact, in one of the phrases, it's a triple negative, which is never seen in the Greek language. And so I'm gonna give you what it literally says, and then a paraphrased version. This scripture literally says, I will never, never leave you, never, never, never forsake you. Do you get the hint? <laughs> I love the paraphrased version. There is no way at all that I will ever leave you, not even a chance that I will ever abandon you. The promise of God through Jesus Christ. When the world around him was crumbling, when Rome was ruling Israel with a heavy hand, I love what Kyle said, a warrior didn't show up, it was a baby, but that baby was more than just the average child. It was God with you. Because it was God speaking this, that there's not a chance that he would ever abandon you. Today we can get wrapped up in our plans or today we can embrace the purposes of God. And I'm gonna challenge your heart today in the midst of the plans that you had for this year or maybe just even for this month alone, in the midst of all the plans that have been turned upside down, will you, are, you be, are you willing this morning to take your plans that you have been so wrapped up in and would you set those aside and would you simply say, God, today I embrace your purposes. I'm gonna embrace your purpose for my life for our family. 2020 is almost done, and I think all of us are celebrating that. But I'm gonna go into a next year not wringing my hands and wondering, oh boy, what, what's going to happen? You know what I'm going to do? I'm gonna get my sky hook back. I'm gonna say, God, 
would you begin to show me what you can purpose in me, the purposes that you can work in my life. Because what I want to do is not walk into 2021 reeling from a tough year. I want to walk in ready to be a champion for the cause of Jesus Christ. It can happen if we're willing to trade in our plans and embrace the purposes of God. Bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, I ask that today that, Lord, you would help guard our hearts. Because, Lord, I recognize that for those listening or those watching today, Lord, there are some that are reeling over plans that did not go the way they thought it would go. Lord, none of us thought this year's wedding or funerals, church services or parties or family get-togethers or jobs or businesses or whatever, None of us thought this year was going to go the way it really has gone, and we can easily get lost in the blizzard. But Lord, today, Lord, like Joseph, we're going to fix our eyes upon you and realize that this interruption in our, in our life is the invitation to step into your purposes. And in those purposes, Lord, we're going to be a people that don't complain, but Lord, we're going to declare your goodness. And we're going to recognize that even though the storm may wail, your presence is not standing outside of it. It's right there with us to help us through, to guard and to guide, and to take us into your glory. Show us your glory and your presence, God, as we become a people that embrace this season of God with us. Lord, for every heart that's hurting, would you just, just breathe it healing? For every just broken heart, God. Holy Spirit, would you just do a healing work? Lord, for people like me who have just often resorted to anger. Spirit of God, would you just soothe souls? Help us get so focused, so off the focus of what we have lost and begin to see that there might be some bigger purposes at hand. But we're people that need you. We need your presence. You are Emmanuel. God, help us to be a people of Emmanuel. That wherever we go and whoever we interact with, that God, we can be a representation of Emmanuel to the world around us. We speak it all in your name we pray. And everyone said.